Everyone eats out every day, but people don't think about how food arrives on the plate. This is Grounded, and I'm Lauren Mitchell. Join me as we delve deep into the challenges, expertise, and experiences of professionals and innovators in the food service industry. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators. Hey listeners, it's Fresh from the Field, and I have our Chief Procurement Officer, Stephanie File, on to talk to us about some fun, fresh items that are focused on the fall. Thanks for coming on, Stephanie. You're welcome. Hey, Lauren. Yeah, I love fall time. One great thing about the fall is apples. Usually in the summertime, we are always pulling apples from storage, so it's really great to see when we harvest them again and not only do we harvest them, we get great varieties like Ponzi and Kiki, Jazz, Honeycrisp. There's a newer variety called Evercrisp, which is a Honeycrisp and a Fiji combination. So those are also great items to have during the fall and great items to put on your menu. So for those that are wondering, apples that I've heard are only harvested one time a year, but we know those that are in produce that expands to be a little bit different by region. So explain that tidbit a little bit more in how some people who are eating apples in the summer are eating apples that not necessarily fresh compared to some summer fruits. Yeah, well, we do pull, I mean, apples are grown in Washington, Oregon, Maryland, Georgia. They're grown in lots of different regions and we pull from those regions seasonally. However, in the summer months, we do not have an area that we pull from in the United States. So they are stored apples. So it is great to see when they come back around in the fall. And that's also a great time where you'll see fall festivals and people in almost lots of different states having fall festivals and featuring apples. Very cool. How about any other fall items? Yeah, you've got hard squashes. Those are available a lot of times of the year, but there's really a great supply of them in the fall. Pomegranates, pumpkins are something that obviously come in the fall time and I think they're overlooked a little bit because people typically think of them as just a Halloween thing but you could do lots with a pumpkin on menus and it's a great item and very readily available during the fall. Very cool and that's your fresh from the field update. Thanks again Stephanie. Thanks Lauren. Bye. All right for today's show we are traveling across the fresh produce supply chain to meet a producer of the ingredient. You may have heard terminology used in the industry like controlled environment agriculture, hydroponically or greenhouse grown, and particularly with leafy greens. This gentleman is well-versed on controlled environment agriculture. He's passionate about produce, his team, and customer satisfaction. He's our East Coast leafy green guy, co-founder and executive vice president at Little Leaf Farms, Tim Kniff. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lauren. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, it's an honor. All right. So tell us, what are the responsibilities of a greenhouse producer? What is it that's involved in growing greens under glass day in, day out? So if you take a look at the overall business, I mean, aside from designing and building a greenhouse, and that's the first part of it picking your systems and everything like that. Once you have identified your, your systems and your structure as part of your business plan, then you start growing. And we identify ourselves as a grower, packer, shipper. Uh, we, we hyper-focus in on the plants. And then the daily, so 
the daily jobs of a grower, it's not just understanding, you know, the biology and, and plant physiology, uh, understanding what to do to maximize yield. But it's also, they're, they're running this very complicated series of systems, okay, that, that are there to maintain, you know, water, fertilization, climate, light, as it, as it relates to the outside atmosphere. You know, we, we basically are a greenhouse. The lighting that we use is supplemental. The climate conditions we use are supplemental to outside. So what we're trying to use is the outside atmosphere. That's why we have the facility in McAdoo, which is a high elevation, low evening temperatures. We basically max, maximize, you know, sunlight, climate outside with the inside systems that we put in place. The grower has to understand how to manage this between using all those systems, looking at the plant, seeing how the plant's reacting and adjusting on a daily basis. So even though it seems like it's very automated and there's a lot of systems in place, um, it's this constant view of calibrations and understanding how things work. And then also understanding if something's not working, hey, is there something wrong with the lights? Hey, is a fan not blowing strong enough? Hey, is there a water clock? So it's, it's all of this stuff that, that comes together that allows a grower to really succeed and grow on a consistent healthy, healthy plant, which basically results in yield and, and quality. Wow. I mean, I think we can, we can make a lot of parallels to, to business in general. So it's, it's just making assessments based on um, shortcomings in your process and your abil ability to pivot and respond to those, um, you know, speaks to your strength. So that is fascinating. One thing that you said actually piqued my interest in as far as the elevation, would you say that there's I mean, is there a specific location primarily that greenhouses can can typically produce? Like, can can one start one in Florida, Illinois, Michigan, or Pennsylvania? I mean, the, is the geography important? It is, you know, it is. You can start with any place, you know, and sort of like it's just a matter of what your business model is. You have to take a look at what you want to spend for energy costs, what you're going to be taking a look in terms of of your water supply. Labor obviously is there. So the question is, it's like, what's your, what's your business plan? Um, but just understand if you have to open up, you want to say you open up a greenhouse, I use a, like the lowlands of South Carolina, very hot, very humid, right? You could do it, but it's going to cost you a ton of money in terms of being able to cool, manage humidity, uh, all of those things from a greenhouse standpoint, it's sort of like where my vertical friends, you know, decide, okay, we're going to grow completely indoors. That might make a little bit more business sense, but from a greenhouse standpoint, what you want to do is it's the, the line to get into is supplemental, right? You want to go into a place where you're near geographic, you know, decent sized market geographically, but when you're growing the lettuce in our particular case, lettuce, you want to basically be able to smooth it out. You know, the, the, analogy that I use when I give tours at the greenhouses, best place to put a greenhouse is where you go for the summer and sleep with the windows open. Right? <laughs> you don't, you don't need the air conditioning and, you know, lettuce likes a 72 degree breeze. So if you can go someplace where there's a 72 degree breeze, or you can, you know, tweak it a little bit by opening up the windows as opposed to running the air conditioning, you got a good place. 
besides besides the sunlight and all that other stuff with automation. So yeah, you can build one any place, just how much money you want to spend running it. All right. Now talk to us about the specific leafy greens that are growing there today. What 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 are you guys focused on growing and what was the decision that went into identifying um those specific SKUs? So yeah, so what we identified when we started the business, we looked at the package sound category and we were looking, our goal was to transform the way the foods grow. So we wanted to go after the biggest segment, which was basically the bag salad business out of the Salinas Valley. Okay. That was my that was basically controlled by really three big players. Okay. So from there, you're looking at products that would be similar to chopped icebergs, chopped, chopped romaines, uh, those types of like the number one selling SKUs. Recognizing that our system, where we wanted to get into leafy greens, we had we had to find varieties that would sort of fit that bill, which we did. We found one. Well, we found the growing system over in Finland. Uh, they were growing on uh, hybrid green uh, that the people really enjoy. We went over there, saw it, tasted wow, it's really good. Not too much that you have to explain to the consumer. Like they eat it, it's a really good salad green. It's crunchy, it's sweet. You know, it's got some romaine aspects to it, some iceberg aspects to it. But the consumer, when they got it on the plate, they're like, hey, this is good lettuce. That, by doing that, and then basically designing the greenhouses to maximize the genetics of that individual variety, got us to be the number one selling, number one and number two selling skew in the, in the East Coast. And we've just been growing from there. But that was the, the initial vision of the company was to go after and come up with a better value situation for the bag salad industry coming out of California. Fresher, better taste at a good price. And, and that was basically uh, the business plan. Yeah. So for our listeners who aren't totally versed in lettuce, for an example, think about if you're a restaurant and you're located on the Northeast and you want to be able to provide fresh, crunchy, or sweet greens as part of your starter salad. And your greens are currently coming from Salinas half the year or Yuma, which is in Arizona, and then trucked about 3,000 miles across the U.S. This is a solution to, first of all, support and freight savings, but also provide a local lettuce on menus 365 days of the year because it's regionally sourced and not only regionally sourced, but from my perspective, I think it's harvested without ever touching human hands. Is that correct? Is, That's is there, correct. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so again, local lettuce, um, the flavor you can imagine and the quality um, is boosted just because the sourcing is brought much closer to the radius of the restaurant, but also the techniques used to grow this product. I mean, they're capturing rainwater, natural sunlight, shining through glass, solar-powered energy, soilless hydroponic farming. It's it's very incredible. Um, so you talked a little bit about the different roles that go into this. You kind of need to be a scientist, mathematician, um, you know, a grower, a planner, a designer. Um, and you mentioned that you learned some of the techniques over in Finland. Talk to us about how it got started. I know that you specifically were started in tomatoes, but how was this idea born? What was, how was the seed planted for, for Little E Farms? And, and tell us back to the beginning, how it started. So, so I met our CEO and founder, Paul, uh, when we started Backyard Farms to Tomato Business up in Maine, uh, 
and it was about 16 years ago. So Paul was there for a little bit. I was there for about nine and a half years. Uh, Paul was always very interested, uh, always very, very interested in the greenhouse industry. Uh, when we started the tomato business, he had a bigger, vi bigger vision. Um, and basically to a little bit over a break, he came back around, was always looking. And it was all about, you know, you take a look at greenhouses, but then it's like a labor situation. We, we discovered that uh, with the tomato greenhouse in Maine. So Paul just had this like, you know, almost a decade of just searching for, for different things. And, and, and all of the technologies were being developed. And we're very tied into Holland. Holland is where all the technology usually comes from, from a greenhouse standing point, but they never really focused in on leafy greens. Uh, so deep water agriculture for heads, but really nothing there. And Paul discovered that there was a company in Finland, based in Finland, that was doing sort of like these, you know, adolescent baby greens on a, on a mobile gunner system uh, that was fairly automated. And, you know, he discovered, was first one to discover that, he invited me to, to come on board with the company uh, to take a look at it. So in the very beginning, it was myself, our, our head grower, Peter Slawman, and, and our head of maintenance, Alfonso Garcia. And we all met together and like in this tiny little car driving up to this greenhouse in the Arctic Circle. And <laughs> lo and behold, these, these finishing engineers and, and started a, a mobile gutter system with, and they were growing these leafy greens that, that we brought to the United States. What we did though, when we brought it over, we were like, okay, they were surprised at how hard we were going to run. We took that system and we basically hot rotted it. We, we pushed, we pushed the capabilities of that system, uh, saw where there were things that were better. I mean, I give a lot of credit to Alfonso and Peter. For, for understanding what things we needed to fix and being able to focus on all those things and us deploying capital in the right areas to, to get ourselves more efficient, better plant health, higher yields. Uh, and that's basically how we started. We started with two and a half acres, uh, didn't build the second two and a half acres until we had like, we're cash flow positive, realized that we, we had a foundation of a business. And we've been pretty conservative in terms of our growth cycle by by basically employing technologies, integrating them from the best producers in the world, challenging them with their ideas from what we found out, and then building the next ones. So now we're at the point where we have it dialed in and we're building 10-acre blocks that that basically you know produce more yield per square meter than any other lettuce greenhouse in the world. And and now it's just about it's about scaling. And that's where the business currently is. I always love to ask about the start of something amazing because I think there's important principles that can be drawn from that. And what you just said, best technology, you consulted the experts, even if that meant traveling far and wide, going to the source and starting small. So I thought that, that it's just fantastic. Coming from a food service perspective, you know, there's an element of needing to to catch up to this, right? So you guys are definitely at the cutting edge. You're you're in it, the innovative side um, of you know fresh salad or bagged lettuce. Where do you think our industry needs to go in order to you know catch up or at least be able to get to the point where more of this can be produced? Or, or do you think that's even a, an appropriate direction for it to go? Oh, definitely. It's, it's already going there, right? It's, if you take a look at our food service business, I mean, we started out while we were trying to figure 
figure out all the different packaging and things, sort of like food service was, we had, the way that works, we had friends in the food service business who were like, hey, can you help us with some lettuce? That's, that's how it started. And there was an educational aspect of it. And thank God we had some people that were willing to, willing to help us out. But then it was like, okay, what does this business look like? And there's, there's an educational aspect to it, okay? With the food service industry, what we found out is that you're talking about generational thought process of what a California supply chain looks like with pricing that has been fairly stagnant over you know the last 10 to 15 years, with the exception of when there was major product di disruptions. And as we all know, in the last five to six years, you can almost set your watch to major product disruptions coming out of the West Coast on lettuce. So that sort of like, you know, opened up, identified a problem that people were looking to solve. Now, the gap is sort of like what a greenhouse industry or a controlled environment agricultural business looks like versus what the food service business plan looks like, where it's commodity bed, you know, figuring out what the surety of supply is, multiple producers where you have a large, you know, a large base to pull from. Where now all of a sudden you're talking about pretty confined group of guys, okay, that are servicing an area. Pricing is going to be a little bit different. And then changing sort of the narrative of what the value proposition is. So it's not just the lowest price of chopped iceberg. It's like, okay, higher quality lettuce, decent price was the value, the value story to the end customer. And that's best taking some time. So it's like over the last five years, we've slowly brought accounts on. The trend, if you took, take a look at it, it's growing. And it's, it's a pretty steep curve because what we find out is surety of supply, consistency and quality, and shelf life. From a food service industry, those are the three things that we deliver like significantly higher than our West Coast competition. It just takes a little bit of a while for somebody to get over, oh, I'm going to pay a little bit more. And then all of a sudden they get into their process and they realize that we've got studies on this, that it actually, you actually want to make it more money by paying a little more money up front because you're not, you know, your shrink is down, your turns are higher, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me about your planting cycles or time periods. If someone's listening and they've got um, multiple locations up and down the East Coast and they want to drop this into their supply chain, how much time does your team need in advance to understand, um, to be able to support the lift and also just general guidelines that you guys go off of to invest in or increase your acreage? Right. So we're going to, we invest in our acreage. I, you know, go out when we're, I'm out on the road talking to customers. Like we don't sell, we plan, you know, and it's, it's all about planning. So we understand you know, our, our forecasting accuracy is plus or minus 4%, you know, a given week. So wow. it's not so much about the production side of it. It's the demand side, trying to figure out how to plan for demand. Um, so obviously earlier is better than later. What we found out is that we've got, we've got major distribution through the majority of national food service distributors, um, you know. And it's for them, it is it's sort of like, what's their process? When do they have to get to their salespeople to talk to their end customers or, you know, however that supply chain works to figure out what's the size that we need to plan for in terms of volume. So that's like a year out, you know, as we're doing like a yearly plan, it takes us right now, we're on track to build about a greenhouse a year, this 10 acres. 
And we're a year and a half, year to a year and a half ahead pre-selling those greenhouses while still, because the first part of it is to support the growth that we have from our existing customer base. When our existing customer base is growing 35 to 40% a year. So that's, and that continues to grow. So that needs to be addressed first while we're bringing new accounts in and then realize that this is the cycle. During the spring and summer, it peaks. Okay. So what'll happen is the crop gets a little bit faster. So we do get a little bit more lettuce during the fall and the winter, it goes down. So the piece of advice that I have in terms of dealing with any CEA, okay, like, well, I'll just talk to greenhouses because that's the industry we're in. Sooner's better than later. You want to start in the spring and the summer, don't start in the winter. You know, the last thing a guy was like, hey, we could start, you know, give me two loads in January. You know, and you're telling me that Christmas. You know, that, that program is not going to get off the ground, right? Um, but if you, if you plan out during the year, we can, we, can guarantee, we can get those loads during January and February or when there's a disruption or there's a transition from Yuma to Salinas, you know, whether it's in the spring or the fall. And we can plan accordingly because that's when it, that's when it peaks. All right. And tell me the greatest difference you feel someone would notice in, in eating a salad with, with Little Leaf Farm lettuce or even any greenhouse grown lettuce versus the alternative. Brunch. You know, people, people are amazed at the surprise of the snap of our lettuce. It, it breaks, it doesn't bend. Um, and then there's also, like I said, it's, 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 it's delicious. It's people come back to us and they're like, you know, it's, it's really, really good lettuce. Uh, you'll see that we have, you know, part of the re- way that we grow it. We've got, you know, this curl in the patch because what we do is we cut it in 21, 22 days. So there's some ice in there where it wants to sort of ball up, but we cut it before it can ball up, but that gives it, you know, helps it retain water and it's got the sweetness to it. But people that know our lettuce, especially in markets where we're developed like New England and, and parts of the Northeast, they know when they're in a restaurant, they can see the curl, they know it's us, right? So um, it's just the eating experience. And then, you know, then also how long it lasts. Like that's on the flip side of it is that it holds like iron. All right. So being a dreamer and an innovator, I hear your vision is 100 acres under glass by 2026. Can you talk to us about, you know, what success would look like for you in, in the next five years and for Little Leaf Farms? Yeah. I mean, a lot of lettuce, right? <laughs> <laughs> having, it all, having it all placed. <laughs> How can we get into more barbecue houses, right? That's <laughs> oh, you know, it's... Uh, if somebody told us, you know, six years ago that we were going to have like the number one and number two skew and like the fourth biggest brand, we're the fourth biggest brand in the Northeast and like we're the sixth biggest band in the country. I, that's right now. And I still have to step back. I think, but it goes back to, we started the company to transform the way the food's grown, which we really strongly believe it's the right way to grow lettuce. Um, the vision is, is, is to be able to supply, you know, east of the Mississippi with, with East Coast consistent, sustainable product, right? With, you know, less, less environmental impact, you know, less emissions in the CO2, less truck miles, all those things that guys in the CEA business, we all have the same similar vision, trying to grow things better. And uh, so that if, if we could have basically a series of, of these peri-urban sites 
you know, where we're basically supplying a large, a large geography where 80% of the nation's company live, the country lives. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's the vision, right? What about commodities outside of lettuce? Do you guys currently grow anything else? I've, I've actually walked a greenhouse with strawberries here in Minnesota and it was incredible. It, it's just, it's astounding to me. It was like being in a spaceship. Um, but are there other commodities that you guys are growing yeah. right now or looking to grow? Yeah. Yes. You know, it's pretty cool. It's like the way that we work with the seed companies, um, you know, we've got a relationship with the largest seed companies in the world and they give us genetics while they're, they're developing them. So what'll happen is, you know, they know what we sort of look at and they understand our greenhouse and the talent level of our growers. So they'll give us stuff to try. Cool. And as, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, if you look to grow in the system, you know, all the work that I mentioned in the very beginning that you have to run, right. It's sort of like, okay, you throw a seed in here, but this is what the growers and everybody else wants to sort of like dial in on to make sure it's successful. We've got multiple varieties that are going and we're getting constantly asked for the big ones, you know, what's going on with spinach or there's various herbs or things like that. So we've got a list of people asking us to develop stuff while the seed companies are coming to us and giving us genetics. Sometimes, so this is the cool part of it. Somebody will ask us for a very specific X and we'll come up with a pretty close Y. And then that just starts, hey, and then you find out, you know, you meet and, and you say, does it work? So we had a, you know, it started with the green leaf. Nobody, nobody was asking for a crispy green leaf skew. It, it didn't exist before we started. Now everybody's got one, right? And mm -hmm. we're at it. Did the same thing. We've got a butter variety. Same thing. It's, and it's, you know, it took off and now we can't, now we're telling the seed company, come on, you got to keep up with the seeds. So that's part of the planning process, but we're going to continue that. Um, in terms of flowering uh, fruit and stuff, that's, you know, we've got enough on our plate in terms of, you know, leafy greens, some herbs, things of that, that nature. But, but Lauren, the, the big thing is it's about scale. We want to make sure that we're growing things that can be delivered and feed the biggest level of population that's there. We're not looking to be a niche person. We're not going to be a, a super high-end micro greens company. This is about large-scale commercial agriculture to transform the way that food is grown to the largest populations in the United States. That's, that's our vision. You know your niche. I love it. All right. So let's... Let's learn a little bit more about you. We've certainly learned a lot from you. Um, tell me something that you learned either prior to even tomatoes um, early on in life that is strangely relevant to what you do today. So I've been in the pros business 30 years, right? I started my first job coming into college, aside from, you know, bartending jobs and waiting on tables. I was selling pineapples for Dole and uh, Dole had a really good feeder program, hired a bunch of young kids and started as an assistant district manager and learned the most. Very fortunate to have a lot of good bosses along the way. Um, you know, just trying to pick up, you know, different things from your best bosses, try not to do the bad things from some of your not so good bosses. And there's a couple of things. It's like, it starts with the product. 
I mean, really, it's 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 all about the product. And everybody in the organization has to understand that we're only as good as the last the last case that we shipped. And and it has to be day to day. It's that, you know, one oops wipes out two Nata boys, right? This 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 business, it's it's daily execution. And the other thing is like when you have great product, people get it in the produce industry, people get inspired by it. It energizes you. I mean, Absolutely. you see you see a beautiful box of whatever, right? And people get pumped. So you gotta, so that's like, that's always gotta be in your DNA and every day. And you gotta make sure that everybody sees things with sort of like the same eyes, you know, and, and people that are having a tough time seeing, you gotta help them out. And people that aren't feeling it, you gotta help them feel it. Because when you've got a collective experience coming out of the greenhouse, it just elevates everybody. So that's, that's sort of like been a foundation of my career. Um, you know, it took over like really when we started Backyard Farms. Um, you know, I was, I was very involved in sort of setting specs for the tomatoes and, and what we have to do. And, and it's sort of like transferred on over to, to Little Wheat Farms as well. Yeah, that's interesting. So hearing you say it starts with the product and how you're only as good as the last case that was shipped. It, you know, it, it's so that you can serve your customer, right? So that you can continue yeah. to have. And we haven't covered that. I'm curious, who who would you define as, you know, the ideal case or who are currently the ideal case customers for for Little Leaf Farms right now? I, I don't want to say anybody, everybody, you know, but it's it's the the best customers we have are the ones that are willing to have conversations with us. No. Uh, it's not, you know, anybody that's willing to take the time and just be open and transparent and honest. It doesn't matter retail, food service whoever, um, say, okay, what do you need? Help us understand what we can do for you. We'll get, we're, we're confident in our lettuce growing capabilities. Okay. And our service requirements. So let's just have a conversation about what you need, um, and how we can best service you. That's yeah. interesting. At the beginning of the year, we have clients that, you know, we, we, we ask them, you know, what does success mean to blankety blank for the year? And 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 then we'll ask for specific targets. If they say, you know, we want to infuse more local items into our supply chain, we'll say, okay, why don't we come up with a number that we can hit? Because here at Produce Alliance, that would be our job is to go out and, and satisfy the, the sourcing to, to fill that KPI. So call it 5% locally sourced items um, within our supply chain. And they could start possibly regional um, and thinking about Little Leaf and how to, you know, how to bring it directly into those restaurants to start. Um, and that would hit that goal for the year. So I, I very, very interesting. That would be a good place to start, right? So science, produce alliance comes to us and it's like, say, guys, we, you know, the people we talk to, what, what's your goal? What do you want to do? And they came back and gave us a number or something. We're like, okay, let's let's work together and figure out how we get there. And we can say yes or we can say no. But but it's all about just like communication and conversation, and then being, you know, really specific in terms of we don't want to get out over our skis, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's our on times and full scores. We we live and die by them. Um, we did. We had a problem with it. You know, we we the business grew faster than we could build greenhouses for the first couple of years. Um, people all say it's a good problem. With that. It's still a problem. And people don't care 
that, oh, you know, congratulations, everybody wants your letters. They want to know, gee, I'm the order skills. So now what we're doing is we're, we're in a position where we're able to build these greenhouses to keep up with demand. And then when we have a conversation, we have enough history to say, okay, hey, listen, this is what's happened in the past. Don't be surprised if this was happens with your business. Let's take a look at it and, and plan. You know, so the more history, the more data, the better planning we can get. Being able to build in hand, we've got more capacity. So it, it feels like we're we're running at a good rate right now. All right. So going back to little Tim, have you always been on the East Coast? Were you, were yes. you born in the Pennsylvania area? I was born in uh, the beautiful state of New Jersey. Um, so, but yeah, uh, my brother's career up and down the East Coast, uh, spent time in Florida, Virginia, is like one of the reasons that I'm so happy is that, uh, you know, we had the greenhouse in Maine, but my wife's originally from the area where just so happens, this is where the greenhouse is. So I got my wife home after 28 years. So that's, you know, check the box for me. But, you know, I, you know, I wanted to be on the grower end of it uh, from a produce supply standpoint. And there's not a lot of, large-scale year-round East Coast produce jobs, right? Um, I had opportunities working in Salinas. I worked, you know, border towns, things like that. You know, if you want to be a produce guy in the East Coast, you know, you work for an importer. You know, I did that. And, uh, you know, or you worked for like a wholesaler or something like that. But if you want to, like my passion was quality of product and consistency, right? Being part of that, the initial part of the process. So, yeah, so to be able to have greenhouses in, in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania and supply like a lot of customers, it's, uh, it's a dream come true. I mean, you've got, I think you majored in marketing, you've got time in sales, you mentioned backyard farms. Mm-hmm. Um, any specific piece, if you could go back, you would retrain or focus more more intentionally on on that area as you see the, you know, the value now from from where you sit? There's so much that I rely on. I, I, you know, my dad gave me advice at a young age. He goes, be the fun guy around smart people, not the smart guy around fun people. And, <laughs> and uh, I am very fortunate to know a lot of very, very smart people. Uh, I have a good time, but it's, you know, that's, that's it. It's, you know, I, uh, I'm very fortunate that I think I landed someplace where I can contribute to an organization that, that sort of fits my skill set. There's a lot of things I struggle with, um, but like I said, smart people around me, uh, and 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 just a great team. I mean, I'm I'm incredibly fortunate about the people that like everybody in the organization. But it's it's some of the it's some of the best team. Some of the, it's one of the best teams I've ever been involved. In. And uh, even the young people coming up and and they're embracing each other and they're embracing the company. So yeah. And yeah, is there a lot more that I wish I knew about? Absolutely. Do I have time to go back and think about it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I also hear you killer dance moves. Is this true? Are you a good dancer? I thought you I was a good dancer. <laughs> I think I read about it on the internet. <laughs> I, I I enjoy the dance. I don't I don't know if I would say killer dance moves. I got I think I would say this. I think I surprised when I'm at a party or something like that. I think when people look at me, I su- surprise them that they see that I got a little rhythm because I don't look like a rhythm type of guy. I mean, yeah, that was, uh, great, a little pudgy. You know, I shouldn't move as good as I do on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. We'll go for a couple rapid fire questions as we wrap up here. Um, first of all, you know, here on the podcast Grounded, we love to hear from our guests. Just what simple daily ritual keeps you grounded? So the one thing we do as an organization, we have a 755 stand up every morning. So at seven, five minutes to eat and for five minutes. Okay. Everybody gets on the horn, senior leadership, what you doing today? And it's not about, it's just like, Hey, you know, and then have a good day and everything like that. So that 755 gets me set up in the morning to make sure that I've got my, my to-do list ready. It's, it's that thing that gets, well, I gotta be ready for the 755 and just helps me organize the writing stuff down. I mean, the to-do list thing is if I don't write down the to-do list, it's, I, I could just like flummox through the, through the day, you know? So writing stuff down to 755, um, those, those are the two big things. The 755. I love it. I remember when I used to work at a distributor, we would all meet, um, you know, the the warehouse selectors, the night shift would come off, um, the sales reps for the day would all meet in the office and just talk about, you know, inventory levels, you know, major orders for clients that day. But just from a whole warehouse perspective, it was really cool to have boots on the ground all together um, prior to heading out for the day. You don't want to have meetings just for the sake of having meetings, but I think that there's some, I always say the cadence of the business, everybody's got to understand what the cadence of the business is. And, and how you do that is by making sure that you've got, you know, stakes in the ground during the course of the day. So you have the 755, you have, the, so we have a 730 production meeting in Pennsylvania that only takes 15 minutes. Then you have a 755, then I have an 805 with the sales team. And then it's the same agenda, boom, boom, boom. But it's, we come into those meetings sort of like you, you come in light, smiling, good morning. You know, you try to keep it, what's going on. And then it's the same thing. Any problems, any issues, you know, OTIF, you know, on times in full, any production issues we need to know. And then also just sort of like, hey, it's going to be a big day. Hey, it's going to be a big week. Hey, it's a soft week, you know. But, mm-hmm. but you can get it all done. You know, we start with early in the morning. But you can get that all off the all off the deck by court. All right. I'm failing at our rapid fire because I took way too long on question one. So here we go for true rapid. (laughs) How about to the next generation of procurement or supply chain? What is your best secret that you're willing to share? Visit the supplier. Make the time to visit supplier. Learn. You'll You'll be a much better buyer. Who has been a mentor for you and in what way? So I was a staffer uh, at the Publish for Better Health Foundation, young. And I got to be just a young staffer and saw Bob Carey, who was one of the first presidents of the PMA, and then his successor, Brian Silverman, who were both geniuses. But but personable, um, just very, very smart good men. And, uh, you know, what I learned from them was being nice members, you know, being kind. And I tell everybody in my organization, be nice. I did, uh, this thing for PMA. I was a thought leader. It was like one or four guys. And they were like, okay, what's the advice yeah. that you got to give? Yeah. I, that's how I met a bunch of people, produce lines people there. And they're like, okay, what's your words of wisdom? I'm, I'm just the knucklehead, right? I, 
And I said, be kind, be kind. It works. I heard you actually just got up and danced. <laughs> I don't know about that. I just, I mean, I'm just kidding. I love it. Be kind. There's a couple of drinks, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then finally, the this has been a fun question. What is the staple produce item you have on a burger? Can't live without. Uh, Lettuce. (laughs) No, but you can't even say that. You got to say what kind of specific green? Are you going to go butter, bib? Green leaf? No, I go with my green leaf. Yeah, no, it's it's like our green leaf. I like crunch. I don't like I don't like a soft lettuce. So I like I like crunch, you know, for for the lettuce topping on a on a burger. So that's I'm I'm a pretty like the burger. It's it's pretty standard for me. It's lettuce tomato. I do fried onions, not raw onions. You know, that's it. All right. So for those listening that have. Um, listen to this conversation and learn a little bit more about Greenhouse. They've certainly been encouraged to go and, and hopefully tour one nearby. But specifically, if you're on the East Coast and you want to learn more about Little Leaf Farms and understanding how they can get to your back door, Tim, where can people find you? Are you on LinkedIn? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, the best thing to do is, if you have interest, hit us on the this email address. at sales at littleleaffarms.com. That goes to me and the entire team. Uh, we all look at it, and that's the best thing to do. Uh, look us up on, we've got a YouTube channel, littleleafforms.com. You can see the greenhouse and and very cool videos of everything. Uh, like us, you know, we, we've got a, we've got a group. Uh, you can hear everything that's going on with us. Our social media is pretty strong. And yeah, it's uh, my LinkedIn account is, is Tim Kniff. You know, you'll find me there. Uh, but like for, for people that hear this and you want an immediate thing, it is up at sales at lilyfarms.com. We'll get back to you immediately. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And um, I figure out where to go dancing someplace. Dancing. Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and to our audience, if you've learned something today or laugh, please share this podcast with someone else, specifically those who might have a particular interest in controlled environment, ag, and greenhouse grown product. Again, Tim, thank you so much for the time. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Good luck with everything, huh? All right. This has been another exciting episode of Grounded. See you next time. And that wraps up another episode. We have covered a lot of ground today. Thank you for joining. For show notes and our most updated market report, visit us at groundedthepod.com. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators by leveraging technology, talent, and an insatiable appetite to improve.